Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for becoming more customer-centric and accelerating revenue growth. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, CEO at Momentum ITSMA, a global B2B growth consultancy and advisory firm. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. We're here today to mark the release of my new book, Uh, The ABM Effect, How to Win, Retain and Grow Valuable Clients for Market Beating Growth. We're joined today by industry icon, marketing legend and best-selling author Don Peppers. Don, welcome. Thank you, Alicia. Nice to meet you. Really great to have you with us, Don. Um, And I know we're going to dive into the book in in a bit more detail, but I'd love to kick off with a a bit about you. Some of the topics that you've written about, you had a big big impact, big influence on, on me. Um, but for for our listeners that perhaps aren't familiar with your work, it'd be great for you to tee up a bit of an intro. Sure. Well, um, Martha Rogers and I met in uh, 1990 and started working on a book together about the impact of technology on business. We started with a, uh, a mental exercise. In the United States, Kellogg's Cornflakes has a cartoon character called uh, Tony the Tiger. Yes. Yeah. So... The question we asked ourselves was, when uh, when the time comes that children could talk back to Tony the Tiger in a commercial, what would Kellogg do with what the kids would say? And the answer is, Kellogg wouldn't do anything with it because any child talking back to a cartoon character, that's anecdotal data. It's not representative. It doesn't represent a market. Kellogg only deals in markets and audiences populations. But we realized that immediately that when interactivity really occurred, companies around the world would be hustling to try to create relationships with their customers individually and remember the conversation from one conversation to the next, one experience to the next. They'd want they'd want to develop long-term relationships with their consumers using computers and, uh, and whatever technology was available. So that, that was the inspiration for our book, The One-to-One Future. Yeah, the one to one future. I think a fantastic book that you you co-authored in 1993. Was it? It came out actually 30 years ago this month in August 1993. And and what what do you think has stood the the test of time? The kind of one to one future feels very relevant uh, right now. But what what's what's your take that is still what's still true today? We did suggest that interactivity would create uh, uh, a big social media. We didn't call it that. All the image tribes would uh, arise. And uh, one of the chapters was entitled, uh, Take Products to Customers, Not Customers to Products. And that forecasted a tremendous increase in home delivery and so forth. And and uh, relevant to the recent COVID crisis, we said the upper class and, and lower class in the future would not be the haves and have-nots, but the theirs and their-nots. Do you have to be there to do your job, or can you do your job anywhere? And uh, I think that that, uh, uh, that sort of increase in uh, telepresence uh, was something that's uh, really uh, came home in, during COVID. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely played out. And as we think about supply chain and distribution and Amazon, um, you know, so, so much has evolved. And when, when you look at enterprises, Don, and, and um, customer behavior in particular at the kind of enterprise B2B level, ha- has much really moved on um, or are we still contending with um, complex organizations looking to, to 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 buy and invest in solutions that are most appropriate for their business. 
Well, we are still dealing with the large complex organizations, but they're, if anything, they're more complex today than they were, um, you know, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I was a business development director for advertising agencies. I tried to win new clients. So I would spend my mornings making cold calls to advertising directors and marketing vice presidents, and, and I would get through one out of every eight or 10 times I'd get through, right? And then I'd, I had a three-ring binder and I'd write down what they said in the three-ring binder so that six months later I could call you back and I'd say, oh, Alicia's Don Pepperskin. Hey, how'd that product launch go in uh, uh, South America, was it? How'd that go? I wanted you to know that I was remembering you uh, and I wanted to have a relationship. And, and basically my goal was to make sure that you would take my call if I read that your account was up for grabs, okay? I just wanted you to take my call. Uh, and that's the kind of relationship that a sales guy like me was was into. Um, but with interactivity, I think even consumer marketing becomes that way, but, uh, but B2B marketing becomes even more that way. And uh, now I want, uh, I want each of my salespeople to have relationships with particular individuals within the client organization. And I want to know the relationships of those client individuals. And I want to know who has the vote and who has the influence and who, who's more likely to object. And, and, uh, uh, and, and that's just the contact information. I also want to be able to uh, provide value to the enterprise. I want them to, I want to be able to take them something that they will find worth their time. That's really the the basic goal. And guess what? That's ABM. That's that you know that you can't describe ABM any any better. I mean, that's that's what ABM is all about. And I think you touched on a couple of really good points there around enterprises are getting more and more complex. And actually, when you look at you your uh, precursor to the CRM, your three ring binder, uh, and how you were capturing customer data, you, you think about all the interactions that. You know, lots of suppliers, business development, sales, marketing teams are having with the same customers. You know, how are they staying, staying joined up? That that just creates um, a, a lot of uh, complexity, doesn't it? I remember when I was the new business director at a large agency, uh, I had what call, we called a data um, Rolodex dump. Uh, when we got a new executive hired and I asked him to bring his Rolodex in and I would look through the Rolodex for any contacts and so forth. And we, we literally had them in a binder a paper binder where we tried to keep track of who knew who and which organizations that we might want to uh, try to penetrate. And of course, and you couldn't make a contact with somebody uh, without the permission of the person who actually knew that person. Trying to manage each potential client in a way that the client sees that we could provide value to them. Yeah. You know, having been a salesperson or business development person myself as well, um, and you, you think about, you know, the, the CRM revolution and you know, how MarTech and sales tech has advanced, um, some, some of those fundamentals of, you know, death of the, the, the roller decks, you end up with execs not really having a black book and then this, disc, disc, you know, uncoordinated, disjointed activity that ends up happening in customers that, that are random of activity rather than this kind of integrated experience. Um, I mean, you're widely recognized on as starting the CRM revolution. What, what are your thoughts on on the journey that we've we've seen with CRM? Are we in the, the best place we've ever been with it now? Or are we just given that, particularly in B2B and enterprise, is it just so murky that actually uh, we need to bring the, 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 the Rolodex back? 
I'm not sure I'd roll anything back. Uh, I do think that gradually people are coming around to the understanding that it's no longer uh, what Simon Sinek would call a finite game of either winning the client or losing the client. You know, it's a it's an infinite game. It, 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 yes, you want to win the client, but you probably win the client a little at a time, a little at a time, and you want to grow the client bigger and bigger, engage the client, and become intimately interacting with the client all the time. You have to be bringing value. I used to say to my executives, uh, we, don't, we don't have a meeting unless we can bring something of value to it. Uh, just because a client agrees to have a meeting, it's not a reason to have a meeting. You only have a meeting if you can leave the client better off after. So the client feels like they got something interesting or good or useful out of the meeting itself, right? And I think that's a good principle for ABM executives, uh, uh, even today. There's so, so many organizations that end up having, you know, I, I call them tea and biscuit meetings. You know, you, you meet for the sake of it. Um, nothing really moves on and you're not creating that value exchange as you've described. And uh, you know, buying, in, in my view, is getting pretty restless. You know, we're seeing customers, particularly the larger enterprise level, you know, for them, buying is getting harder. What, what, what do you think is, is driving it? Is it our suppliers harder to deal with? Is it just their own organization complexity? What, what are you seeing, Dodd? I, I think it's organizational complexity, probably over complexity. I think there's there's probably more red tape today than there used to be uh, around a lot of different things. Uh, who knows? I think that computers are our friend, but also our complicators uh, because suddenly all all this data is available and you're, you're swimming in this ocean of data. I don't think the discipline of critical decision-making has kept up with the, the enormity of data now available to us. I think uh, a lot of people have, have trouble uh, trying to sort through the, the possible ramifications of the data they're looking at. Uh, so I think that complicates the complicates the matter yeah I mean there's just so much a sea of information isn't there and how do you navigate and how do you use information to effectively make decisions that having been said I also think there is a strong movement toward decomplexing the agile movement uh, making decisions on the spot but and empowering employees empowering not just senior executives but you know, rank and file employees to make take action uh, and take and make decisions in the direction of success, having a unified direction of success. I think there are a lot of movements today to try to simplify how organizations, uh, you know, uh, compete. If you're looking to learn more about account-based marketing, take a look at the ABM Effect: How to Win, Retain, and Grow Valuable Clients for Market-Beating Growth on Amazon and Audible. There was an article, Don, that, that I was reading in, in preparation for this. You, you wrote it um, for Harvard Business Review back in 1999, and I, I felt like it could have been written today. On the topic of ABM, um, it's something that we talk about a lot. Is your company ready for one-to-one -one marketing? And, and what I took away from the article was too many companies were jumping on the one-to-one the -one bandwagon without proper preparation. Talk, talk me through what inspired you to write that particular piece. Well, uh, by, by 1999, Martha and I had uh, founded Peppers and Rogers Group, and we'd hired a guy, Bob Dorf, who uh, ran the company. Uh, he was our president. And 
Martha and I went off speaking different places, uh, which is, it's a great life. You get paid to talk, it's fun. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, Bob managed the consulting and, and, the, and basically we'd done enough consulting now with the 30 or 40 business executives we had working that we knew some of the problems that companies had when they got all enthusiastic about one-to-one marketing and then they, they started into it and suddenly they hit resistance and they hit issues and so forth. So we talked about that. Bob was the primary author on that uh, paper because it, basically we took the advice that he had already, uh, he and his consultants had already come up with, you know, an index of things to watch out for with potential clients. And, and and existing clients and and it was those it was those checklists that figured in uh, uh, if you remember that article it was all about checklists and, and then we came out with a book called the one to one field book which was full of uh, checklists uh, and, and so forth uh, basically that came out of our, out of our consulting business uh, and it was uh, all the reasons why you should never do one to one marketing or you'll never be able to do it. I remember a summer gathering where we tried to come up with all the reasons why this will never work. <laughs> and then we chopped them one at a time. And, but that's what led to that, that article and, as well as the, the field book, which we, it came out the same year. I think so often I see organizations when, you know, perhaps they've got go-to-market challenges, they're trying to grow the, the business organically, that jumping on the next new initiative or, or the next shiny thing is, is seen as the solution. But as you say, there's so many foundational elements to think about. And I, I love that idea of flipping it to say, here's why you're not ready or here's why it wouldn't work. Here's, here's the checklist. I, I can't say we ever turned down a client, but we didn't accept a client just because they wanted to do it. We wanted to make sure that they were ready to do it and it wouldn't collapse on, on its own. I mean, there's a lot of work we end up doing to help organizations get ready. And, you know, a lot of that can be around alignment. It can be around selecting the right accounts. Um, so it's de- definitely a common challenge that we see in the market. Don, really uh, valued your, your collaboration on on the new book. It's been a, a career highlight to have you write the forward to, to my new book. Thank you. What inspired you to, to get involved? Well, uh, number one, I really believe what I put in the forward. I think that ABM uh, is basically one-to-one marketing at enterprise level. And as sales executive myself with one foot in the consumer marketing camp and one foot in the B2B marketing camp, I applaud your effort to try to raise the quality of uh, selling and account building that go on, goes on. And also, I, and I think that the ABM movement is a really, really good bridge between sales and marketing. Fundamentally, what's happened really is that with technology of interactivity and mass customization and databases, the disciplines of marketing, sales, and customer service have all been smashed together, right? The customer doesn't care whether they're talking to a salesperson or a service person. They're just talking to you right? The company. And uh, it's time for us sellers to realize this. Uh, we've we've got to be able to, you know, uh, talk with one voice and one purpose and, and, uh, and make sense to the client. And I think ABM is basically, it's a fundamental common sense to, to do that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we often credit you, you and Martha as the the original one-to-one gurus. Given given your book, I know we're very squarely focused in the enterprise space. And given complexity in enterprise, you know, perhaps it's not quite the the Kellogg's advert, but a, a version of that. Is your take, you know, given your business development experience, the the work that you've done in the B two B space, is it just common sense, or is it 
a, a paradigm shift for, for organizations and how they're orientating themselves? Uh, well, it's both. Uh, I think it is common sense if you look at it, but um, uh, from a if you if you if you really look at it from the from the top, look at the process, it's common sense. Uh, but if you're embedded in your organization and you're basically paid a sales commission for bringing in a product, but you're not paid for growing that product, or you're not paid for how long that that that, that company stays your client, you know. Um, then we're we're basically grew, we've been grooming employees to participate in the winner take all all or nothing sweepstakes and uh, it's a, and there are organizations like Oracle uh, is a really good example okay Ellison trained his people to just you know be like sharks uh, and, um, uh, and 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 fundamentally that attitude in in a way sets you at odds with your customer. Now the customer is an obstacle between you and the profit uh, instead of an asset that you can both mutually benefit. And I know it sounds airy-fairy to say that, but fundamentally that's what ABM is about. It's about collaborating with your buyer and seller, okay? They're, they're working together to jointly craft a solution that benefits the buyer and, uh, you know, by its, the, the seller as well. Yeah, not not just selling something and running, but really creating that win win. What what what's what's your view, Don? Is it is it no longer optional? Is this is this table stakes in, in the world of selling to to big enterprises now, or or do you think you can still get away with do, doing the deal and then disappearing? The fact that it's now possible with the technologies and data available to businesses executives means that it's now mandatory Resource. as a competitive strategy. Uh, because it is, without a doubt, far superior to the um, uh, one sale at a time, winner take all, finite game that has been played so long by so many. Unless you're selling, I don't know, some commodity somewhere, and even with even if you're selling a commodity, it's even more important uh, to try to to what I call decommoditize by adding. The, all the ancillary services and uh, the, you know um, everything from the the timing of your invoicing to ship shipping uh, addresses and so forth. I'll, let me give you an example. The uh, Dutch electric utility, Eneco, okay, or gas. They sell gas, natural gas. When you sell natural gas, how do you, how can you possibly decommoditize natural gas? Uh, nobody wants customized natural gas. What Ineco did was they realized that many of their largest customers operate greenhouses. Okay, they sell and and every greenhouse, they they grow they might grow strawberries or tulips uh, or you know something else. Any greenhouse, depending on what it's growing, has an ideal humidity and temperature setting. And so what Ineco does is they tell their large greenhouse customers, why don't you tell us the temperature and humidity that you want to maintain in your greenhouse and we'll install monitors and we will subscribe you to that environment. So are they still selling natural gas? Oh, well, yes. And it's a, that's the, how they manipulate the environment, manage the environment. But they're really what they're really selling is something quite different. Uh, they're they're selling a solution for the operator, and and I think that's a good lesson for other businesses. Can you decommoditize your industrial offering, whatever it is, so that you're selling a solution to a, to a, to somebody who's willing to buy a solution? Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that's just a great example of not 
not going out to market saying, hey, we, we've got a, a load of natural gas to sell. Do you want to buy some? But actually starting with the customer and saying, well, what are you trying to achieve? What what does your humidity level level need to be? I mean, it, it feels like Don, you and I are in you know, fierce agreement of um, you know, account-based marketing at the enterprise level has to happen and it's where, where customers are, are heading. What do you think stops large organizations from adopting these sorts of methodologies? I mean, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick analogy. I was, I was talking to a senior leader at a large tech business and, and he said to me, uh, look, when I was in a small startup, I sat next to the head of marketing. I was the head of sales. We spoke every day. We knew exactly which accounts to pursue. And now I'm in this big organization. I'm sat in this island over here and I've got access to this type of data and I'm in control of these five processes, yet I've got other leaders that are, are owning other parts. You know, is it is it organization design? Is it just as as these firms get bigger, there's more data? What what is it cultural? Well, I think it's partly partly the way organizations came to be. Most organizations grew up around their products and services. Okay, so I have product A, product B, product C, and every product has a product manager, and there there's a department. And then when I set up a function, I have the marketing function. I'm trying to to get our image out there. And I have the sales function. I'm trying to bring in leads, right? And I have the service function. I'm trying to make those. And each of these is a different silo. Uh, and so the way organizations have grown up is around their own um, um, uh, uh, organizational principles, which are functional-based instead of client-based. If, on the other hand, uh, 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 what you really... What you really have is an organization structure. It needs to be a different uh, organization. It's almost a latticework organization as opposed to a top-down tree branch siloed organization. Uh, and I think that companies are wrestling with this now. And over time, it'll it will happen. Um, and I think the agile movement we talked about earlier is uh, is a really good bridge. I'm not sure that's the ultimate destination, but something like that. They want, you want your employees to be un, unified by a sense of purpose. And, and if that mission lies outside of the actual business itself, then when a technological change occurs, when something happens and threatens your business model, you can still gravitate to that purpose to try to figure out how to, how to uh, achieve it. Yeah. I think having that that purpose from uh, new new leaders coming across the organisation, having more of a lattice structure, should should by nature make us all more more client centric. And so, something Don we've been working on is our strategic client framework, helping B two B organisations become more client centric at the marketing level, at the sales level. Do do you think we we've made strides there? What's your take been on it over the last couple of decades? Are organizations becoming more lattice-like, becoming more client-centric? Yeah, I think, well, I think they're being driven there by their customers. Uh, and uh, I, I think customers are leading the charge here. Uh, when I give talks, I talk about the impact of Moore's law. Every 20 years, computers get a thousand times more powerful. But I use a supplemental law. I say there's also Zuckerberg's law. Every 20 years, we interact a thousand times more with others. You know, think about the interactions you have with your friends and colleagues today compared to 2003. You text by talking to your phone. You, you know, you, you, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of interaction now. And the thing is, the more you interact, the more trust you expect and need from others because trust makes interactions efficient. If I can trust what you're saying, I don't have to check the facts. I don't have to... Trust allows me to interact more. And consumers today have begun to expect a much higher degree of trust. They want they want you to be proactive in protecting their interests. And I think as we 
get increasingly technological and have more and more capabilities, I think we'll see that uh, in the end, it's going to come down to who do you trust? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Whilst listening, please hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to get access to our full library of recordings and alerts of all new episodes. I mean, trust requires consistency of interactions, doesn't it? And, you know, we often see marketing in some channels having one conversation, sellers, service people having different dialogues, and that undermines customer trust. You've been such a big authority in in marketing. You've seen some major shifts. You know, how's this all going to play out? How how, how can we get ahead of that disjointed um, set of interactions? Trust trust requires two things, okay? It requires um, good intentions, Right. I want to, I, if I, if I think you have good intentions, I'm going to trust you, but also I have to think you're competent to carry out those intentions. Right. So, so fundamentally in order to survive and prosper in the future, uh, I think more and more businesses are going to have to think very carefully about what is in the interest of this potential buyer. How would I want to be treated if I were in that situation? Okay, that's the principle of reciprocity. Treat someone else the way you think you'd want to be treated, let's say. Um, uh, and I think we, we need to train our sales uh, people and our marketing people and our ABM executives uh, in that kind of other-focused thinking. And then all we're talking about is actualizing empathy. Okay, you're going to have empathy for others. And, and, and it's empathy, I think, that will... Um, uh, rise to the top, I, uh, in my view. Yeah, no, it goes a long way. I, th- I think you, you touched on a couple of points there as you talk about good intentions and, and competence. I think sometimes in organizations, you know, mar- marketing has a set of KPIs, you've got sales with a different set, you know, uh, whether it's comp driven, you've got services people with different um, KPIs and they're, they're to seek those. And sometimes there are odds or, or create friction, don't they, with with customers, but definitely good to bear in mind, set set about with the right intentions. Um, and Don, I'm a great believer in in fo- focus, prioritizing your accounts, you know, focusing on um, those those clients that are most valuable to you. How do you think about um, identifying customers? I mean, how do you think about that that prioritization? I think you could think of a customer as a a little tiny bundle of cash flow with a memory and. The, the better you treat that cash flow, the better their memory is going to be in the future, and the more cash flow they'll likely be. And, and so customers create two different kinds of value, okay? I cre- a customer creates value by buying today, right? Paying you money. And a customer creates value if they have a really good experience today. And as a result of that experience, their memory is better and they're going to buy more tomorrow. If I give a customer a really good experience, I have a really good meeting with a customer, let's say, where they really enjoyed, and, and they don't have anything to sell, to, to, to buy right now, but they really did like that. Their predisposition to me in the future is going to be much better. That value that I realize later, that value was created with today's meeting. The cash effect is going to happen later, but the value is created every time I have that kind of a meeting, I create more value. For the when I create value for the customer, over time I will create value for me. I, mean, I think particularly when you've got a finite market and you've got a set of accounts that are going to be your biggest customers. You know, thinking in those single buying cycles, those single transactions, um, not not taking the landscape view is never going to get you to sustain growth, is it? And there are always going to be some clients that are much bigger than other clients, uh, and no 
shame at all in pursuing your largest clients first. In fact, that's probably the best way to 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 do ABM is start with start with sorting out the largest clients and say the largest clients get better service because why? Because they're larger. They're because they they because they're a greater opportunity for you, the seller. I, I don't think there's anything wrong in that. I do think that every client has potential uh, uh, at, at some level, uh, and it's important for you to really sort of get a grip on that potential. So some of the topics that we've t- talked about today, Don, you know, what implications do, do some of these buying changes, organization changes that we've discussed, particularly around customer experience, you know, what, what impact will they have on, on CX generally? Uh, well, I think that uh, the more companies focus on the experience that their customers have, the more likely those experiences will improve. And I think customers are come to expect a greater and greater um, service. Uh, if if you if you just think about your life today compared to twenty thirty years ago, you know that products have gotten better, delivery times are better. Uh, there's more reliability. There's uh, you know it, it's clear that uh, the quality of the customer experience in general worldwide is improving uh, with with technology. Uh, the trick is, as the Red Queen said in Lewis Carroll's book, you, you gotta you gotta run hard just to stay in the same place, right? <laughs> Companies have to keep keep progressing just to stay level with their competitors because everybody's doing this now because everyone wants to do ABM. If you want to do ABM right, you got to do it better. You got to do it better and still better. Uh, it's still a competitive yeah. world. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, restless. And as, as buying buyers are also changing, you, you definitely can't stand still. Uh, Don, I've really enjoyed uh, t- talking to you and lo- looking forward to, to very much exploring this topic uh, more. I uh, just want to close on um, what, what, why should should our listeners uh, read the book? What What's your uh, headline on um, what to get out of the book? Well, I think the book is absolutely jammed full of really good examples of uh, uh, ABM in practice and some some uh, good checklists of uh, principles and an outline of steps to take and so forth. It's it's a real it's a very practical uh, handbook for the enterprise sales team uh, as well as for the uh, enterprise account handling team and and the other. Folks, in, in any time you're selling to large enterprises, ABM is the way to do it in a one-to-one, individualized manner uh, where you can be confident that customers are going to benefit from your participation in their process. And that's that's what you want. Great. Well, thanks, Don. Really enjoyed uh, talk, talking to you, hearing about some of your your thoughts, ideas, uh, learning from your experience. Appreciate you joining joining this episode and l- looking forward to seeing you in, in Boston in, in a few months. You got it. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more, Don is joining us on November 13th through to 15th in Boston at Marketing Vision, sharing his insights and celebrating the launch of the ABM Effect. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum IPSMA, a leading B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. Learn more at MomentumITSMA.com.